Thank you very much, Naomi. We probably should heed the words of that song. <clears throat> no coming to the Lord, leaving things there rather than many times carrying them for a long time. Take a moment in silence. You can share with the Lord your desire to be responsive as we interact with Scripture this morning. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ and the life we have in him. Spirit, you are given to live within us. We want to be hearers, doers of your word. We want to <clears throat> live out the life that we have in Christ with a deep sensitivity to your spirit. <clears throat> for it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Romans 8, 28 through 30 say, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified... <clears throat> He also glorified. <clears throat> Last Sunday I spoke in Mark 5, 1 through 20, which deals with the man possessed by a legion of demons. Christ cast out or released the demons to go into a herd of pigs. In my application of the passage I shared concerning Christ's defeat of Satan and demons through his death and his resurrection, the importance of the power of Christ as he works in us today and the possibility of demonic activity in our world today. In light of that message, I got some excellent feedback and primarily question form. And this raised some questions in my own mind, and I'm going to share a couple. Did I communicate well? Are we fearful of demonic, demonic activity to the extent that we're slow to admit it may be present in our world. Why did I even share some of my applications? How powerful, powerful are Satan and demons? Plus, in the last couple weeks, I've been reading some on hell, God's love, and God's character. My bottom line question that went through my mind a number of times was, is this good? And then one that followed was, am I being sensitive to God's spirit? And I came back to Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30, a number of times. And as I talk with God and continue to walk with him, I'm convinced this week and next week, I just want to take a little time to look at some passages that address a number of areas in light of Mark chapter 5 and some other passages in Mark and want to deal with Satan, demons in the world today. Some characteristics of Satan, 
and how he may work, and then clarifying some things that I may have brought up last week, either today or next week. And then God's two resources for living well, joyfully in this world. And then some possible applications. So let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 12, the Gospel of John chapter 12. And I could comment quite a bit on some of the context that we're going into. I will comment briefly on some of the context, some I won't comment on a lot, but I think I understand the context and share in light of the context of the passage. In John chapter 12, we find that Jesus is predicting his death just a short time before he goes to the cross. It's taking place after the triumphal entry. And in John 12, 20 through 36, Jesus is predicting his death, what is going to be taking place. And in verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. My heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I've glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now the time has come for judgment on the world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself and say this to show the kind of death, or he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And we could read on, but we'll stop there. But I want you to notice that in verse 27, Jesus' heart was troubled, and he raises the question, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. And then, Father, glorify your name. And the Father responds. Notice in verse 31 also, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now go over to chapter 14 of John. Again, John 14 would be Jesus ministering to his disciples just before he would be going to his trial. John 14. And in the context, Jesus, in verses 15 through 31, is promising the Holy Spirit. Let's go into the context, begin reading with verse 28. You heard me say, I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. 
If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Notice verse 30. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. And that would be involving Judas coming and him going to be betrayed. But he goes on, he, the prince of this world, has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Go over to chapter 16 of John in the context of the work of the Holy Spirit. And we find that Jesus again is speaking. Now I am going to him in verse 5, John 16 and verse 5. I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask, where are you going? Because I said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And he goes on to say some more as he shares with his disciples. You'll find that if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, that Paul there is speaking to the believers in Ephesus, and he explains to them what it was like before they came to faith in Christ. And he says in verse 1 of Ephesians 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now notice in particular, you used to follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, referring to those who have not come to faith in Christ. We could also turn, we won't turn there, 1 John chapter 4 talks about greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In 1 John chapter 5 verses 18 and 19, particularly verse 19, talks about again <clears throat> the prince of this world. We need to understand as we look at scripture, the passages we considered, one item missing there, but Satan is the prince or the God of this world. Satan is the prince or the God of this world. The system of thought, the order of things, Satan and his demons, but Satan in particular, is the prince, the God of this world. I don't know how many of you have observed what takes place in the political realm. 
But have you stopped to consider that some of what happens in the political realm is attributed to the prince of this world, the God of this world, being in control? We look at our county and we say, we live in a corrupt county. Have we stopped to consider that the prince of this world, the God of this world, has had a say in our county to some extent in things that have happened in past years? Let's go to another passage in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In the context of chapter 3, Paul had dealt with the glory of the new covenant, Christ. And because of Christ, there is liberty, there is freedom. We're being transformed from glory into glory. And then he begins chapter 4 with, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, that is the ministry of reconciliation, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of all believers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We'll stop there. We could read on. But notice, and even if our gospel is veiled in verse 3, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of all believers. According to this passage, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You relate to an unbeliever, you may talk to them about Christ, you may share Christ, and you say, they just seem to have a blank wall. The God of this world blinds, ties in with Mark where Jesus shared the parable of the sower. And he talks about some falling on the path. So, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Let's go to another passage, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Well, let's start with chapter 1 before we read Ephesians 6. Go to chapter 1. Because in each passage where you find the enemy mentioned and the demonic being at work, we find that Jesus is also present and he is giving victory. But Ephesians 1, Paul is praying for the believers in Ephesus that they might understand various things. And picking up with the middle of verse 19, he's praying that they might understand the power that is at work in them. In the middle of verse 19, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which God, he, exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also the one to come. When he talks about 
rule, authority, power, and dominion. He's talking about the spirit world. And God raised up Christ in victory over them. Now over to chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This power that we just read about in chapter 1. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he says, therefore, you know, put on the full armor of God and so on. But note, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against people, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle, number four, is not against flesh and blood. Now, I want to illustrate that with something from my own life. Some of you remember years ago, I had surgery in my forehead, had a tumor removed, and months prior to that, which I, to my own disobedience, did not share with many people. I'll share with Ruth Ann. That was about it that I was tired, there was something going on, my lungs were getting bad, couldn't go up but a couple steps without huffing and puffing. I had my surgery and from that they diagnosed that I have sarcoidosis. And for quite a period of time after my surgery, I had horrendous pain. thoroughly exhausted, and again, due to my disobedience, I carried a lot of that myself. And thoughts began to go through my head. Life is not worth living if I must have pain like this. Life is not worth living if I must be tired like this. I can't fulfill my responsibilities the way I think I should. And then some other thoughts going through, started going through my head. Well, if life is not worth living, then exit life. And I decided how I would exit life. <clears throat> I had a plan figured out. And God brought me through that period, obviously, or I wouldn't be here. Now, you may say, Pastor, you were depressed. You were just discouraged with pain. You were discouraged with weariness. As I studied Scripture, I was in a spiritual battle. There was demonic involved, not possessed, but demonic activity involved. I came through that 
partially because I put on the armor, but also because God brought me out of my isolation, which again is part of demonic temptation, to isolate ourselves from others and said, Dan, stop living as an island. You need to share with others. And I began to share with others. And I no longer said to Ruth Ann, don't tell anyone. How many of us in our day-by-day living, maybe not our daily life, but through points in time, where we can say, I'm in an intense spiritual battle here. I'm not battling flesh and blood. I'm battling. What does he say? The rulers, authorities, the powers of this dark world against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I am of the conviction, and Ruth Ann and I have talked about it, that at this point in life and our entire married life, we are battling to some extent some things that Ruth Ann's relatives would have went through. When chairs move and tables move because of some things that are happening, that has an impact on the next generation and the generation after that. See, we're not battling against people. We're battling against authorities, the powers of this dark world. He's writing to believers. And he says, this is the nature of your battle. It's not against flesh and blood. And some items I shared last week, and I'll try to clarify them this coming week, or next week rather, there may be more demonic than we care to admit at times. I can remember very distinctly seeing a young man, tremendous strength all of a sudden in his life, and it was almost like you could see in his face, if whatever the devil looks like, I thought that's the devil. I thought, I'm not battling with a person here, merely a person. Let's go over to another passage, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And again, in the context of Christ and who Christ is, in his greatness and his majesty, Paul talks about the enemy. In verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2, he says, So, then just as you receive Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Then he says something very interesting in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And then he goes on and explains the fullness that we have in Christ. But notice verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Christ, or God disarming the powers and authorities, the demonic world, he made a public spectacle of them through the cross. But he goes on in verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And we won't take time to read on, but in the context, he's talking about and comes up with rules 
and standards that churches can make. And in light of this passage, Satan and demons use rules concerning that word behavior to lure us from Christ alone. I can take you down home if you wanted to go and talk to certain people. And if you were with me and we were to say, where do you stand with God? And they would say, I'm in good standing with God. Why do you say that I or you are in good standing with God? Because I keep this rule and this rule and this rule. And that religious group has undermined Christ alone with their rules. Demonic is involved. Because he just says in the context, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now tied in with that, let's go over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 4. Begin reading with verse 1. Paul is writing to Timothy, a younger man who was ministering in Ephesus. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. What are these things? Verse 2. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. In light of this passage, demons and deceiving spirits are involved in teachings that forbid people to marry, abstaining from certain foods, and so on. Now think about that. Clearly stated in the text. They'll abandon the faith, follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. They forbid people to marry and to abstain from certain foods. Oh, you can't marry if you're going to walk with God. Beware. You've got to abstain from this food. We hear much about food in the Christian realm and the unbelieving realm. No, abstain from this. Don't eat that. This isn't good for you. And if you want to really be spiritual, you know, you won't partake of certain things. You ever stop to consider that the demonic can be involved in that? For everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So Ruth Hank can sit down with her big piece of chocolate and say, this is really good for the heart. I'm going to receive it with thanksgiving. Dark chocolate. Now, we laugh about that. And I'm 
not going to draw a conclusion on this, but can I go to McDonald's and buy a Big Mac and say, Lord, thanks for this food. I receive it with thanksgiving. Well, some people say you shouldn't go to McDonald's and eat a Big Mac because it's terrible. You need to abstain from that. Well, maybe some people should abstain. But if there's an order to abstain from certain foods which God created, beware. Deceiving spirits taught by demons. How much in the religious realm and in the secular realm is talking about what you should eat and what you should not eat? And marry and not marry. Is it possible? And Paul would seem to say that deceiving spirits and things taught by demons are involved. Maybe there's more demonic activity than we think in our world. Let's turn to one more passage. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Begin reading with verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you find disorder in every evil person, or for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Now notice he says in verse 14, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, the idea of bitter envy is you look at someone else and there's envy towards them. Selfish ambition is the idea of party spirit. It's about my group. He says this type of wisdom doesn't come from heaven. It's earthly, unspiritual of the devil. Earthly wisdom, evident by bitter envy and selfish ambition, is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. Have you ever stopped to observe our political system in America? We are basically in a deadlock with our House, our Senate, and our President because there's a lot of party spirit. Is there demonic activity involved there? Republicans won't give in, Democrats won't give in, President won't give in. They, click, they stick to their party spirit. How about in a local church where an issue comes up and sides form.
and they end up butting heads. And you find disorder in every evil practice. In our own back mountain area, a number of years ago, I got a call from someone and just said, Pastor, what about? And I said, well, you I need to explain what you're talking about when you say, what about? And they went on to share that uh, in a church in this area, there was a fight going on over the Bible. Do we use the King James or do we use some other quote-unquote perverted version? They had a knockdown, drag-out battle, not physically, but verbally, shred each other to pieces. And the person said, Pastor, what about this? I could clearly say there's demonic activity. For where you have bitter envy and selfish ambition and your hearts don't boast about it or deny the truth, such wisdom, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly on spiritual of the devil. So Ruth Ann and I get in a verbal tangle and I say things about her and she says things about me and we're back and forth and I defend and she defends and she shoots me and I shoot her. Maybe we better step back and say, what's going on here? We're displaying earthly wisdom, which is unspiritual of the devil. We could look at some other passages, but we'll look at some more next week and try to clarify some things in light of what I said today and what I shared last week. We're probably in a much different battle than we realize sometimes. But in the midst of that battle, each of the passages we considered, we find that Christ is presented as the victor. Yes, there is earthly wisdom, James 3, but he goes on in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, and so on. The victory is there in Christ. Colossians 2 and verse 15, Christ <clears throat> through the cross has defeated the enemy. My encouragement is to understand that we live in a world where Satan and his demons are the God and the demons of the world system. But in that world, Christ has given victory. We can live well. We can live joyfully as we live in light of the resources that Christ has provided. And again, if you have questions, comments, feel free to share. I will give opportunity for them next week also as we look at some other passages, the resources we have in Christ and then try to clarify some things that I would have shared last week. Let's sing together.